Hello, Lions of Liberty fans. And you know, one great way to start out your day is with a shot of whiskey. But if you're not an alcoholic, the next best way to start your day is with an amazing cup of coffee. And now you can order coffee, delicious coffee, and also support the Lions of Liberty. We have partnered with Anarcho Coffee to create our own brand of coffee known as the Morning Roar. And let me tell you, this coffee is delicious. I am saying that as someone who just drank two cups of it before I recorded this pre-roll. So I can tell you, I'm a little hyped up, and I just had some delicious coffee. And I'd like you to be able to start your day the same way. So I want you to head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee. You get a 10% discount with your very first order. And if you join the Lions of Liberty Pride for $10 or more per month, which you can do over at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty, you will then get a permanent 15% discount on all future orders. And you're going to want future orders after you try this, let me tell you. But first, give it a shot. Head over to lionsofliberty.com slash coffee and start your day with a morning roar. And I will go on record right now saying this. We are the bad guys. There's no two ways about it. We are not liberating people. We are not helping them. Just stay out. We are not the good guys. We will not go down in history as the good guys in this situation. It is a mistake. Please, for the love of God, just stay out. Welcome to the Lions of Liberty podcast. Here's your host, your guide, your shining beacon of liberty, Mark Clare. It is a beautiful morning, my friends. Um, At least I hope it is for you. It's not morning for me at all. It's actually uh, late evening when I'm recording this. But I presume that you are listening to this show first thing in the AM on Monday, as hopefully you do every single Monday when I keep showing up here with the flagship Lions of Liberty podcast that I've been doing for over five years now. In fact, this is the 405th episode of this program, and that means you can find today's show notes over at lionsofliberty.com slash 405. But it's not just me here, my friends. I've also got a couple fellow Liberty lovers, some fellow Lions of Liberty, helping to steer this pride in the right direction. Starting with Brian McWilliams every Wednesday as he brings you his weekly shot of comedy, culture, and liberty on Electric Liberty Land while John Odermatt wraps things up every single Friday with his hard-hitting and inspiring look at the broken criminal justice system on Felony Friday. You get them all for the price of one, and that price is free. Just hit that subscribe button, whether it's on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher Radio, however it is you listen, you want to make sure you don't miss anything, because we've got some good stuff coming your way. Especially because we are getting, oh, so very close to Porkfest. In fact, the next time you hear this show, Porkfest will be over, at least my flagship program. So I am really, really looking forward to Porkfest. It's going to be such a great time seeing fellow podcasters. If you are there, I am hosting a podcasters panel on Friday at 10 a.m. in the community's tent. So be sure to find us and come say hi. I'll be there with a dance mod of The System Is Down, Jay Caetano of... Anarcho Inc., Nick Picone of Sounds Like Liberty, and the one and only Roger Paxson of The Lava Flow. I'm really, really looking forward to that. Really looking forward to all the people I get to meet and do interviews with at Porkfest. I plan to do as much as I can, as much extra content for the Lions of Liberty Pride. Of course, our supporters on Patreon. You can find more of that at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. We just introduced a new $2 level to sort of dip your toe in the water. Now, you don't get access to all of our bonus audio and video content like the higher levels get. 
it. But you do get to in- get into our uh, secret Facebook group in which we will be live streaming some of our shows, including our Democratic debate reaction shows the last week of this month. I believe it's the 27th and 28th. We'll be doing those live the second those Democratic debates end. We'll be in there. So if you just want to dip your toe in and uh, see the kind of access you get by interacting with us in our secret Facebook group and in our Discord channel, check it out. Two bucks a month. What do you got to lose? You got two bucks a month to lose. But hey, it goes to us. It goes to your favorite libertarian podcasters, your OG libertarian variety show here at Lions of Liberty. But besides all that, I've got an awesome interview for you today. I think you're really going to enjoy it. Let's get to it. Today's guest is the number one best-selling author of Expat Secrets, How to Live Overseas, Pay Zero Taxes, and make giant piles of money. I love this title, by the way. He is also the host of the popular podcast, The Expat Money Show. And he's traveled more than 100 countries, including some interesting ones like Zimbabwe, Iran, and North Korea. So pleased to welcome Mikkel Thorup. Mikkel, are you ready to roar? Absolutely. Thanks very much, Mark. Great to have you here, man. And you know, I've been checking out your show these last few months. You're really doing some interesting stuff, and I think we share a similar spirit both in our philosophy and our our, our sort of a. You've actually traveled way more than me, obviously, but we have a spirit in that sense. So I really want to start off just getting to know you a little bit better. So why don't you just start with where you grew up and um, sort of how you developed your philosophy along the way and how that's led you to become an expat? Yeah, absolutely. So yeah, basically, when I was growing up, I was diagnosed with a learning disability. So my teachers, my principal, they pulled me aside and they said, Mikkel, something doesn't work right in your brain. You know, 1980s, totally PC, totally very nice, you could say. And they said, something doesn't work right in your brain. It works differently than other people. So what we're going to do is we're going to take you out of your school and we're going to send you to another school, a special school on the other side of the city. And it's very nice. And there'll be lots of nice people there and everything will be fine. So that's exactly what they did. They pulled me out of my neighborhood school and they put me on a little white bus and they sent me across town. And everything would have been okay, except for the fact that it wasn't really a special school. It was a regular school with um, a special class. So it was me and I think 11 other kids. So there's 12 of us there. And I got in a lot of fights and I got picked on a lot. And this is not like a, a woe is me, sad story. Basically, when people picked on me or, or tried to bully me, I just punch them in the head and, and you know, they didn't do this very well. But I used to come home from school every day, six, seven, eight years old, crying. And, and I hated it. I, I hated school. And I hated my life. And I, and I thought, you know, this is something's wrong. Like, this is just not the way that things should be. I went through grades four, five, and six in this special, um, quote, quote, unquote, special class. And uh, I went back to my neighborhood school with all my kids that I had gone to school with before. And they all whisper, you know, Mark, you know how kids whisper and they talk and they, you know, oh, where did he go? Oh, I remember him. He went to some retard school, 1980s, totally politically correct, totally... We, we all know how kids yeah, talk. Yeah, very sensitive. And, uh, and the fighting and, and, the, and the problems con- uh, continued. So I think it was about grade nine or so. I was you know, 12, 13 years old, and I just stopped going to school. And 15, I was completely dropped out. And not shortly after, I started traveling. And, and I felt like when I went traveling for the first time that I had found like my people. And, and my purpose and, and the things that I was supposed to do in my life. Because I never felt like I belonged where I grew up. 
And, you know, we can get into later on what school does. And I'm sure you've had many guests on your show, government run schools and, and the way that they're set up. I went through all of this stuff, like the, the alienation of, of yourself from your family, from society, from everything. And I was really felt like there was something wrong with me. So we know now it's, it's a form of dyslexia. It's not really a big deal primary school principal telling a child that there's something wrong with his brain. I don't know how I feel about that, but um, but yeah, man. I mean, I think one of the biggest problems of, of having a, a monopolized school school system in a, in a sense, especially now where the Department of Education at least directs how schools all over the country operate, is that they become so monolithic now to the point that if you're different, if you just learn in a different way or have a sort of a different way your brain works, it just makes you wrong. And I know they've obviously changed the approach as they might have in the 80s now. Now they recognize some of the stuff more, but it still it speaks to the overall approach to education and the centralization of things as opposed to letting the market sort of work things out and adapt different schools to different learning abilities and that sort of thing. Whereas now, even now, I mean, we see school shootings and I think a large part of that school shootings is not a topic I expected to discuss with you, by the way. But, you know, you're, you're create why are, we have to ask, why are we creating people and children that feel alienated, that, that don't feel that they're part of something to the point that they feel they have to lash out? Uh, luckily, you chose a better way to lash out and you just got got the hell out of there and, and inspired yourself to go travel. I'm not proud of the fact that I got in a lot of fights when I was a child. You know, I didn't know how to deal with th- these types of things. My parents couldn't help me. They were unequipped and I didn't fit in. It's pretty easy not to fit in in high school or public school. You're talking about a class with 30, 32, 35 children. Being different is not that hard. Now I understand a lot that these types of things are actually not negatives. They're actually massive positives. And, and I am actually so proud of myself now at 36 years old, that I had the courage to do that at 12 years old, which was drop out of high school. Like everybody thought like I was going to end up dead or in prison, or they didn't expect that I would go on and run multiple successful businesses and be a best-selling author and travel and do all these cool things. That was not your middle school yearbook. No, not at all. Like, (laughs) but I'm thankful that these things happened. You know, I'm glad that it happened because if, if everything was all nice and rosy and everything, then I probably not would not have left. And I wouldn't have had that motivation to really make something of my life. Your story is so fascinating and there's so many different directions I want to go in. I'm curious when you first dropped out of school at at like 12 years old, I think you said, did anyone try to force you in? I mean, did they send authorities around to try to find you? Um, were you doing this sort of in defiance of your parents? Were they aware? I've just asked you seven questions there, but okay, well, I'll feel do my free best to expand to any way you want. As best I can. So yeah, so 12 years old, I basically stopped going to school. So this was the the truancy and then you would show up every once in a while and then you would get called in and then you'd get all these problems. And then by 15, I just didn't even pretend anymore. I just, I don't even think I was registered when I was 15 to go back to school. And by that time, like my parents knew quite early on that they couldn't force me to do anything. My, my parents are pretty awesome. My mom is just terrific. And, you know, she's, she lives here in the middle. I based out of Abu Dhabi. She lives here in the Middle East with me now and she's traveled and she's an expat and she's an entrepreneur and she's a libertarian as well. And I have been very fortunate in this regard. Like it was just a lot of social pressure to actually go through something like that. When I knew it was wrong, I knew it was wrong and I stood up against everybody else to say, this isn't right for me. Maybe it's right for you. Maybe it's right for everyone. Now, did I know what I was doing? What I was being righteous or something? Absolutely not. Like, uh, I'm I'm not going to pretend that I had any type of forethought. I just know I couldn't do it and I couldn't handle it. And for me, then leaving, leaving the situation. 
And Mikkel, I know a lot of people my age that don't think that it's that easy to just pick up and travel one day to just take off uh, with with little to no plan, or they might think they don't have enough money to travel. But you did this when you were very young and had really no direction, and and I assume not not that much money, <laughs> if any. So, what was your approach, and how were you able to just decide one day I'm just going to leave the country and sort of see what happens? Yeah, well, uh, you know, I did it in a very traditional way. I got a job. I worked really, really hard. And I took all my money and I put it in a bank account. Like there was no hack. There's no magic secret or formula. I used my own two hands and I I worked. I worked my ass off and and I saved up every penny that I could. And I went traveling. And the first trip I did uh, Ireland, England and Wales. And then shortly after that, I went, uh, I flew to London by myself. Um, I was still in my teens. I flew, I did London, the UK, Paris, Holland, Amsterdam or uh, Belgium, Amsterdam, then went down to Spain. And then I went into North Africa for two months. And I traveled around North Africa for two months in Morocco and um, Tangiers and Fez and all these cities there. And then was up in Portugal and over to Spain, you know, when I was probably 18 or nine, probably 19 years old at the time or something like that. Uh, that's incredible. So you, you do, you've already done more traveling at the age of 18 or 19 than probably most Americans will do in their entire lifetimes. And that's not because you had, you were some rich kid. It's not because you had some special advantage It's because you decided you wanted to do it, worked your butt off and did yeah. it. Does that well, it's just, and I'm sure there's some kind of quote or some type of meme or something like that for this, but like I'm in control of my life and I'm going to do what I want to do. And, you know, there's a libertarian podcast, so I don't need to repeat to you, you know, the words, but like, as long as I'm not, <laughs> those words will, will go over well. Yeah. Here, yes. <laughs> like as long as I'm not breaking those, like really, like I'm going to do whatever I want. So, uh, you know, if I, if I want to travel the world and explore, then that's what I'm going to do. And I'm going to make it happen myself. I don't have a handout. I'm just going to go out there and, and work for it. And as far as the libertarian philosophy works, I mean, you, you've brought it up a few times. We talked about it before the show. Where in your journey here did that, was that just a natural extension of what you were sort of already doing in life? Or is that something that sort of developed as you went along? No, I think that I think that I was probably a libertarian way before I ever heard the word. You know, like I think that these were just concepts that just naturally made sense to me. And I probably heard the word the first time I was living in New Zealand. And I remember there was a guy, Jason, and he's like, we were talking about politics one drunken night. And then and then he's like, and then there are libertarians. And I was like, okay, well, cool. What's that? And he's like, those are the people that want government to stay the fuck out of your life. And I'm like, oh, well, that sounds interesting. Hmm. <laughs> you know, and started reading and, and understanding a little bit more. But really, I think that those concepts came right around those years that I left school, um, you know, 12, 14, 12, 13, 14, 15 years old. Now, let's dive into more of this concept of being an expat because there's a lot of people that do a lot of traveling, travel the world. They're not an expat. So what exactly is an expat? And when did you make the transition from just someone who travels to actually considering yourself an expatriate? Yes. So first of all, and that doesn't mean that you used to be a patriotic and you no longer are. (laughs) So let's preface it this by saying that if you start Google searching the word expat, there is sometimes people who have a negative connotation to it. For some reason, somewhere in the internet, they have the idea that this is only for, first of all, I don't know where this comes from. It's only for white people. Okay. It's only for white people. It's only for Americans. And it's only for people who go and subjugate other people. That's not the case. I don't know where this came from. It's really weird. Um, I would say that this is not people who are expats. I live in Abu Dhabi. Uh, it's the capital of the UAE. Um, only 10% of the population here are locals. They're Emiratis. Everyone else is expats. Everyone uses the word expat in their lexicon. It is an absolutely everyday word. And really all it means is that you have left your country of birth, you've moved overseas to somewhere else, and you will most likely be either moving on to another country 
or moving back to your home country at some point. And that's where it differs from an immigrant. An immigrant is someone who has moved their entire life to a new country, and that's where they're going to spend forever. Like, for example, for myself, I've been in Abu Dhabi for eight years. Um, I met my wife here. My daughter was born here, but we're leaving this year and we're moving to another country. Although I have lots of friends and family and everything here, this is not where I will spend the rest of my life. We're going to go on and, and we can talk about all of these types of things uh, later, but that's a very easygoing definition of expat, I suppose. So what are some of the advantages to being, being an expat? Obviously, uh, the title of your book, you have a, a few key phrases that libertarians might might want to latch on to. A big one being, of course, pay zero taxes. <laughs> a lot of libertarians like to hear that one. Uh, what are some of those advantages? Obviously, if you are, I mean, I know as far as I know, like if, if I leave the U.S. and start working outside of the U.S. right now, the IRS still, still wants my money. <laughs> they, they still want to come after me. So how, how does that work in terms of sort of your, your income and that sort of yeah, thing? Yeah, well, absolutely. And this gets directly into the business that I run. Um, you know, the, the podcast is basically the marketing arm for a business that I run. And we do offshore incorporation and offshore banking. And um, you are correct that absolutely, if, if you leave the United States and you're an American citizen or an American taxpayer, green card holder, however you want to phrase it, um, they will want you to continue to file a tax return. But there are many tax strategies that you can use when you have left the country to drastically reduce your tax bill. Um, so the main one that a lot of people do is the foreign earned income exclusion, which basically gives you deductions of, I think this year is just over $105,000, $105,900, but it increases every year with inflation. So that's, that's really the big one. That, that is a massive tax. And that's money you can earn overseas untaxed if you utilize those yeah, exemptions. But there, there are certain, um, conditions that need to be met. So you have the physical, uh, physical presence test. And and basically, you need to be outside of the United States, inside of a foreign country for 330 days. Um, you cannot be in international waters. You cannot be on a cruise ship or in an airplane or something like that. That will days that will count against you. And uh, you know you can. So this won't work for uh, any of those sea setters that that want to live on cities in no, the ocean. You need then. to be inside of another country. <laughs> and another big one is that you will often have tax breaks in other countries that you live in. Now I'm very fortunate. I live in a tax free country. Um, tax free in that there is no income tax here. We do have tax uh, that was re- was introduced last January. It's a five percent VAT value and uh, value added tax, but. Um, as for income tax, it is a tax-free country. Um, so there are a lot of advantages to being an expat. Um, we also work very, very closely with the entrepreneurs. So we get into the company formation and there's other advantages to that besides just the taxes, um, you know, ease of doing business, say for example, um, like actually I'm Canadian. So if I have, if I'm Canadian and you're American and we want to set up a business together overseas, you know, if we have it in Canada, then I'm going to have an unfair advantage of you over you. And if you do it in the United States, then you will have an unfair advantage. And it doesn't really matter too much with say a Canadian American, but imagine it's a, a Japanese and a German or something, or, um, a Chinese and someone from Zimbabwe, you know, you can't have the court system to settle disputes in Zimbabwe. Then the Chinese person is going to have uh, a huge disadvantage. But if we set up the company in British Virgin Islands, BVI or something like this, you know, it's a lot more even footed. It's common law 
practices and uh, a lot more libertarian in a lot of ways. So certainly where you set up a business and and where you sort of set up the the, the financial end is, is a huge part of things. And that's obviously a, a big part of what you do with your business and, and talk about uh, in your book. Uh, I do want to get a little bit more into uh, your, your, your personal travels and your personal journey. So I, I'm curious, how did you end up, you know, you've been there for eight years now. How did you end up in Abu Dhabi and sort of a, at least temporarily, temporarily being eight years, sort of settle down there for a while? Well, the money is uh, considerably better over here. It's just such a beautiful country. It is extraordinarily safe here. Um, you know, you mentioned the school shootings the other day. Every time something like that happens, um, you know, I always think to myself, wow, I am so lucky I live in the Middle East where it's safe. And I say that kind of jesting, but it's true. You know, like the Middle East is not Baghdad. Like Middle East is actually a very big place and there are lots of great places over here. I've traveled through the majority of them um, and there are lovely people here. Like I said, the population is 90% expats. So my friends are from Serbia and from South Africa, the UK, Australia. My wife is from China. I met her on a flight to Germany. We got married in the Seychelles and my baby was born here in Abu Dhabi. So, you know, I like this type of lifestyle. Um, I came over in 2011. Um, I followed a girl over here and, uh, you know, not my wife. It happens. It happens, you know. Uh, (laughs) And, you know, and just fell in love with the country and ended up staying. Of course, that begs the question, uh, why are you now leaving and moving somewhere else? Is that just the 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 free animal spirit within you that has to try new things? Or is there a a concerted reason you decided to move? I believe, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe you're, you're heading to Panama next. Well, you know what? I don't trust governments. I'm just, I'm sorry, but you know, I lived here for the the six years previous. It was a tax free country, hundred percent tax free, no taxes on anything. That's how they promoted it. I came over, I built a life here, and then all of a sudden they decide they want to put in a five percent tax on value added tax. I don't know. I I reckon that they're getting a taste for it, and I've heard lots of rumors that it's not going to be five percent next year. It will go up, and and then who knows. Maybe after that, they're going to go, well, you know, we've already done this and we didn't have a revolt and we didn't get overthrown. So let's just put a little bit of income tax. It's only 4%. It's only 6%. So it's not a big deal. I mean, the income tax in America started as just a tiny little tax we were going to put on the very richest people just to temporarily fund this war. And look where we are now, where, you know, even just average middle class type people are paying extremely large portions of their income because it's just been, it's that we've been the, the, the frog boiling in water over the last century or so to the point that everyone just accepts that the government's going to take 30, 40, 50 percent. Uh, and, and a lot of people seem to think that that is always been the case, that that is human history, that we have always paid taxes. I am a big history buff. I can tell you right now that it is not true. You know, <laughs> it's actually very, very weird. Like if you look at an extended period of human existence, the amount of time that we've had to pay out in income tax is minuscule. Um, but we're not taught that, of course. And I suppose this kind of ties back into our previous conversation about education and what we are taught. Um, you know, funny how that works. But um, yeah, I don't trust them here with the government and oil, which the economy is very heavily relied on. They, they say we have something like $600 billion worth of oil in the ground in Abu Dhabi. It's uh, where all the wealth is. It's not in Sharjah. It's not in Dubai. It's not in any of the other Emirates. It's here in Abu Dhabi. Um, You know, with oil prices being so low, I don't know, man. I don't know what they're going to do. Panama, on the other hand, uh, they do have income tax, but they have a couple of different rules. So if you earn your money outside of Panama, you are not taxed on it. Therefore, I can become a Panamanian resident. My money is all earned online. I do coaching and consulting and I won't be taxed on it. I can get a um, permanent residency there. My wife, is who I mentioned to, is from China. She can get permanent residency through me. 
Um, after five years, if we can so show strong ties to the country, we actually get a second passport. It is the cheapest, best option in the world right now for a second passport. They have open arms. They are accepting millions of people um, who are skilled and are going there and building businesses and contributing to society. It is a beautiful country. First time I went there was back in 2003, I want to say, 2002. I hitchhiked all through Central America and I loved Panama and I've always wanted to go back. So I'm really, really excited to, uh, yeah, to officially say that we are moving to Panama this year. A lot of people might hear that concept of having a second passport and think, well, why would I need a second passport? I have a U.S. passport that lets me travel anywhere. What are some reasons that someone might want to have a second passport? Yeah, absolutely. So American passport is a strong passport. It's not the best. It's not even top 10 uh, strongest pass passport in the world. Um, certainly when you consider visa-free travel, it's not the strongest in the world. Let's use an example of an entrepreneur who is making a lot more money than the foreign earned, foreign earned income exclusion is going to provide for you. You're not making $100,000, Mark. You're making a million dollars, okay? Which Sweet, I like yeah, it. Absolutely. <laughs> so a lot of entrepreneurs, you know, it's, it's not unreasonable uh, to expect they're going to make a million dollars. Look at the tax rates in some of the states and what they're going to pay. You just leave the country, yeah, you can get a tax break, but you're still going to be paying several hundred thousand dollars. So... Okay, if you were going to expatriate, as in give up your passport, which is another word that if you start Googling expat, like uh, will also come out. This is the legal term that the US government uses is expatriate, is actually giving up your citizenship. Well, you can't give up your citizenship without having citizenship somewhere else. You'll become stateless. And although I don't believe in statism, and I wish this was not the case, I am also a realist and I understand that this is the world that we live in. To be able to do the things that I want to do in this world, i.e. travel extensively, I need to have a travel document. So Panama offers a travel document that gives you visa-free travel to 151 countries. And uh, is, you could argue a tier A passport. A lot of people would think of you know, a Central American country or, or a Latin country as being all very, very poor and, you know, running across borders and things like this so that, you know, they can have the American dream. But that's like a very close-minded view of the world. Like a Mexican passport is a very strong travel document, extremely tr strong travel document. So I think that those are some of the reasons that people might want to think about getting a second passport. The other thing that I will add to that is that you don't know what's going to happen in your country. You just don't know. Like what's going on in the U.S. right now with the uh, AOC and, and this craziness. I wouldn't want to be there, man. Like, okay, it's fine right now, but who knows? Six months, a year, five years, 10 years. You just don't know what's going to happen. I've also heard this is firsthand. Um, we've had clients who have been expats. They land in the United States and uh, they are suspected, Not this is not proven, suspected of owing money to the government in taxation. So there was one woman, she lived in Latin America and she came back to visit uh, some friends and stuff like that. And she landed and uh, police were there waiting for her. As soon as she came off the aircraft, they confiscated her passport and uh, they suspected her of owing more than $50,000 in taxes. If you had a second passport, then you could continue to travel. But she doesn't. So she's stuck there. She's literally a prisoner. Um, now she can move around hotels and cities and stuff like that, but she can't leave the country. She has no travel document. And there's no due process there. She's not in a, I mean, I'm sure she's trying to get it back, but they just take, they just it, take and it and then you, don't you gotta, own, you gotta you don't figure out how to passport. get it back. It's government property. You don't own your passport. Mm -hmm. So think about it. When they do the calculations for this, 
they're not they don't have a CPA or an attorney a tax lawyer or an attorney or anything like that on your side. They can look at it and have no deduction. So like if you run a business, like there's massive amounts of deductions that you can have from running your business, you know, business expenses. That would be a normal thing. But they don't count any of that uh, when they calculate this fifty thousand dollars. And a lot of times it's not even close to fifty thousand dollars. I work closely with a CPA and he sent out an alert to me and several of the other uh, people who work in this space and we're like he's like we got another client today and they don't know what to do like so we're getting on conference calls and trying to help people like this and prove like listen they don't owe you this that's a, a made-up number that's completely arbitrary you know like let's see your accounting procedures here like it just doesn't make sense man hey friends i gotta take a quick pause here to tell you about another great libertarian podcast out there it's called Free Man Beyond the Wall, hosted by the artist formerly known as Mance Raider, now known simply by his real name of Pete Raymond. And I gotta tell you, Pete is a machine. This guy brings you a new episode of his own every single Monday, Wednesday, and Friday, and he has done some absolutely fantastic in-depth interviews. He's had on everybody from Ron Paul to Thaddeus Russell to Phil Labonte, the lead singer of All That Remains, a very diverse group of guests, not always libertarians. He also did a great show with a Washington, D.C., insider lobbyist revealing a lot of the dirt that goes on behind the scenes in DC. He has done so many interviews that I have just said, darn, I wish I did this one myself. So I really do want to highly recommend checking out Freeman Beyond the Wall. You can find it over at freemanbeyondthewall.com as well as iTunes, Stitcher, and all those fancy podcatchers out there. Well, Mikel, if someone is listening right now and is maybe starting to get the itch a little bit, starting to get inspired to think, well, maybe I should, maybe not become an expat tomorrow, but at least uh, dip my toe in the water and start traveling around a bit, where would you recommend that they start? What are the first steps someone can take to sort of pull that Band-Aid off and start the process of at least exploring the idea of becoming an expat? Obviously, one place we're both going to recommend them to go is to check out your book, Expat Secrets. Uh, but of course, feel free to take that in any way you like. Yeah, absolutely. So, absolutely. So, my perspective is that most people in the most people have a place in their mind. And, you know, maybe they've never told anyone about it. Maybe it's secret. I don't know. Maybe it's all over social media. There's somewhere in there that you dreamed of going. You always wanted to see. So, for example, when I was like 20 or 21 or something like that, I hitchhiked all through Central America. And I was in Colombia and I got on the phone with my brother. This was back early, early 2000s. I got on the phone with my brother and he was done school and he wasn't doing anything. He was working you know, a couple hours a week at a restaurant or something like that. And I'm like, okay, Zach, you know, come travel with me, man. This is amazing. You're going to love it. Let's, uh, why don't you come down to Columbia and, you know, we can do, we can go into the mountains and we can go into the jungle and we'll go do this. No, no, it's too dangerous. Okay. Well, like in a couple of months, I'm going to be in Argentina and, you know, we can take painting classes and learn tango. And I saw, I heard about this photography class and no, 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 it's, it's too far. Okay. Um, well, I was thinking about, you know, going back to Europe or something like that. No, no, it doesn't just nothing, nothing was pulling up. And I said, well, you know, they've got this uh, working holiday visa in New Zealand. Why don't, why don't we go to New Zealand? He's like, oh, I think I could do that. Okay. And like literally that day, he went to his boss and asked for more hours from his job, started working full time, saved up money. And in like three months, he moved to literally the other side of the planet and showed up in New Zealand with me. And, you know, that had a drastic effect on his life. We traveled together for more than three years, Mark, like wow. worked in same places, shared a, a house together, had so many great times. And that brought me closer to 
I'm sure you got sick of each other a little bit yeah, too. I'm sure, you know, <laughs> oh, we probably had some drunken arguments and things like that, but oh yeah, that had a huge impact. But that was that one place. Like I probably could have listed another 50 countries, 100 countries, and I wouldn't have gotten that reaction. But there was something about that for right. him that made sense. So my advice to you, Mark, to in a very roundabout way of answering you is you know, like just go out there and explore, you know, be honest with yourself and figure out what it is that you, you've always dreamed of seeing, man, and, and go and check it out. Like, seriously, I've been at this for 20 years. I counted last month. I've been to 104 countries, 104. It's amazing. Like that's somehow you're alive yeah, and well. And like, I'm okay. Like, it's all right. I'll tell you right now, I'll, t- I'll tell you the number one thing and you can put this in a, a quote card or something like that. Uh, the number one thing that Mikel le- learned from visiting more than 100, and 100 countries is people are good, Mark. People are good. Yes. And, and I don't care if you are tall or short, black or white, fat or skinny, gay, straight, libertarian, conservative, liberal. You know what? Human beings are good and they all want the same things. We all want a roof over our heads and a warm meal on our stomachs and we want to be loved. And, you know, I'm not an idealist. But it was the same when I went to North Korea. It's the same when I went to Iran. It's the same when I go to the United States or anywhere through Latin America or Europe. People are the same. Um, and I, I don't really know what else to say about that, you know? No, it's so true. And that, that's a reason I encourage people to travel all the time. Obviously, I haven't traveled to 104 countries, but I've done a, an okay amount of traveling. And th- I mean, that's that's the one thing that always sticks me with me wherever I go, regardless of the, the pol- politics that are in place, regardless of the economics. I've been to expensive places and cheap places, but every single place I go, every the, what I take from it is not the amazing sights I saw or the pictures I took. That's stuff I could also get in a magazine. Mm-hmm. It's the people that I have those 4 a.m. <laughs> late night conversations with uh, or the people that I just meet on the street. Street, uh, you know, at a you know a little fruit stand or what have you, and, and just happen to have a thirty minute you know half broken English conversation with. It's those experiences that really shape your view, not just of the world, but like you're talking about of humanity. You start to realize that what we're taught. I mean, we're again going back to the school system. We're taught that America is the best place in the world, and in many ways, it has you know good things about it, free speech, uh, etc. There's good reasons to to uh, you know be happy about a lot of the things in the United States. But the United States is not the only part of the world, and it. it and it's not um, it's not the shining beacon where around a pit of fire. You know, the, the world is an amazing place filled with amazing people. And like you said, people at the end of the day are just trying to get through the world. They're just trying to get through their lives and make it as fulfilling as possible. Most people aren't deeply immersed in politics and that sort of thing and philosophy like, like you or I might be. They're just trying to get through and be the best they can be and, and live their day. Yeah, absolutely. And you can search freedom indexes. And you will see there are more free countries in the world than you would ever expect. And certainly than you would ever learn in government-run schools. Because what we're taught, in, and I assume it's the same in the United States, but in definitely in Canada, that there's only a couple. Like, it's really like, like this is this is it, you know? It's us and them. We're the best in the world. And they hate us because of our freedom. And it makes it sound like, okay, Australia, they're all right. You know, France and Great Britain, they're okay. But, you know, the rest of them, no. It's not true. They're all savages. Like, man, 193 countries. It's like 170 of them are free or something like that, or 150 of them free. And I encourage you to go and Google it. But it it is really amazing. There are so many fantastic places out there. And the way they do things, you know, is their perspective. They're all trying to do things the best that they can. What really gets in the way usually is people's motivation. And if you start incentivizing people to do things in, in inefficient manners, like government, you know, 
that's when you get really messy situations. You know, look at what's going on in Venezuela. I'm sorry, but it's true. Like they're not incentivized to do things in the best way possible. Look at what Chavez did. I've watched video after video of him taking private property and nationalizing it. Like that's messed up. Like that's, that's really, 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 really messed up stuff. And that's what happens when you get socialism in play. The people are motivated to do things in the wrong way. I believe that entrepreneurs are going to change the world and it's really the only way forward. You know, we need people who are going to create things and not just take things. I don't, I don't like this entitlement type of mentality. Well, you have been to a, a couple of countries that probably don't rank that highly on the Freedom Index. Uh, and I like to t- talk about a couple of them, but one I'm just fascinated to know is uh, your experience going to North, North Korea. It's not a place people think to go or think they can go, uh, but you can go to North Korea. Uh, you have, and uh, I think you have to do it. Obviously, you, you can detail your own story. I'm pretty sure you are only allowed to go there uh, through some sort of official North Korean government tours or channels. But you know, feel free to detail your experience or any, anything that stood out from that. Yeah, absolutely. And you're 100 right. Um, you can't just like show up at the door and enter. But there's lots of countries that you can't just show up at the door. Um, you do need a visa, like we were talking about earlier with the passports. You know, Canada and Panama and stuff like this. They're all 150, 160, 170 visa-free travel. North Korea is not one of them. Most likely will never will be. Um, it is a bizarre country. It is weird. You know, like it's a weird place. I'll, I'll give you that. Um, at the same time, it is also exactly what I just said. It is filled with a bunch of people who want to be taken care of and, and want uh, want to be loved and want a roof over their head. Like, I don't want to repeat everything, but like, it's really too true. They're, they are normal human beings. It is bizarre um, because this is totalitarianism at the absolute extreme. And there's really not a lot of countries left like that. They did this communism experiment and it failed. And most places in the world have abandoned it, um, which is so scary when I see socialism um, you know, becoming part of mainstream media again, it, it really terrifies me. But um, yeah, man, like I did normal things when I went to North Korea. Like we went bowling every night. We got drunk and, you know, we we, we went bowling. How is the North Korean state run bowling? It, it is quite good, actually. <laughs> There's a lot, a lot of like little uh, divots and stuff like that. But, you know, man, yeah. we were just having fun. We rode the subway. We went to museums. Uh, we went to the circus. Their circus is insane. It's like the Circus Olay type of circus. And it was great. And, you know, one of the things that you always hear about in the media is they're going to watch everything that you do. They're going to have cameras and people following you around and stuff like that. Man, if they had that, they did such a good job because I didn't see them. I'll tell you that right up front because my experience was, and we were there during national day. This is like one of the biggest days of the entire year. We planned it around visiting national day and they had these huge, massive, uh, they call them mass dance. And you'd get like a hundred, 200, 300,000 people who meet downtown and they're all dressed up and it's, it's a big holiday and they do these synchronized dances with each other. And they're these giant circles, like two, three, 400 people in these circles and uh, and our guide was like, OK, uh, you know, you guys got two, three hours. Uh, meet me back here at this time. Don't go more than, say, two blocks in that direction, one block in that way and another block over there, um, you know, and meet me back here. Have fun. Like, OK, cool. So then we run around and we talk to people <laughs> and we dance and we buy food, you know, street food and and get to know people. We were actually really fortunate. We had a Brazilian guy on the trip who had lived in uh, Inchon, like just outside of Seoul for like 10 or 11 years. 
So he spoke like really, really good Korean. And, um, and so we ran around and just talked to people and just got their opinions and stuff. And they were quite open minded. And, you know, we would sit and have picnic with them and just have normal conversations. Like it wasn't as bad as the movies or things would make it out to be, I suppose. Well, speaking of, of as bad as the movies or as bad as the media might hype up, I'd also like to speak on Iran a little bit, especially because right now there's a lot of, uh, war ratcheting in the media. Um, there's a lot of tensions, uh, perhaps just manufactured tensions that should, don't even need to be there in the first place. That's a whole nother rant. But what was your experience going to Iran yeah, like? So Iran, okay, first of all, Iran is only three hours away. So we're like next door neighbors with these guys. Mm-hmm. Um, this was back, I want to say in 2012 and possibly 2013. And the US had just moved um, uh, aircraft carriers into the Persian Gulf, or as some call it, the Arabian Gulf. Um, and I looked around and I didn't like the looks of it at all. I didn't, I didn't like what was going on. And I thought, this is not going to be a big pushover. These are, these are not guys in a cave like Afghanistan or something. This is a a country with a very well-developed military. And, you know, they have a lot of allies and they have a lot of support in different places in the world. And if we quote unquote, we, uh, go to war with them, this is going to equal world war three. And I was like, I think back what happened um, when the U.S. invaded um, Iraq and what happened in Baghdad. And and I would argue that Baghdad and Iraqi history, and I would argue that Baghdad is not really Iraqi history. It is world history. It is your history, Mark, and it is my history. That civilization has been there for more than 6,000 years. And, uh, and what was done there, the looting of the museums and bombs being dropped, and it hurts me down to my soul. I told you, I love history. I'm a big history nut. And, and I looked at that loss of history of things that I could have learned and things that could have been explored and I could have shared with my daughter. And, you know, man, I cried. Like, like, I wept for that. And I looked at Iran and I saw a very similar situation. This is, you know, a country with thousands of years of history. These are Persians and they've not always been Muslims. They were Zoroastrians before that. And, and their culture goes very, very deep. And I thought to myself, all right, if this does happen, I want to make sure that I see it before then. I obviously, I can't change what the U.S. government is going to do. Yes, I podcast about libertarian ideas and helping people to remove themselves from the situation. But that's, I don't delude myself in thinking that I'm going to change anyone, any general's mind from invading a country. Yeah, I don't know if the Ayatollah is no, listening right probably now. probably not. We have to work <laughs> on that one. But I showed up there and I honestly fell in love with the country. It was so different than what they had made it out to be, what the mainstream media, I should say. They were very kind people, very gentle, and extremely um, respectful of women. And I'll give you a couple of examples. So when we would go to the market, like, and I live in an Arabic country, I've traveled all through the Arabic region, I would go to a market in Iran, and you could see the difference between Arabs and Persians. When a woman would walk by, the men would actually get quiet and take a step back. They would not approach, they wouldn't be in your face, there was no touching, there was no yelling. Try going through Morocco, you know, and if any of your listeners have been to Morocco, it's also one of my favorite countries in the world. But go to Fez, go to Tangiers or something like that, and be a single female traveling through there would be a Western woman traveling through that man. There's no respect there at all. Like that's just ridiculous. And I love the country. It has a special place in my heart, but it's true, man. It's true. I didn't see this in Iran. And, and we talked to the women and we talked to teenagers. We talked to teenage girls and I actually became pen pals because they were so curious, you know, what is a Canadian doing in Iran? And we exchanged emails back and forth and she got permission from her father and 
was, you know, this was not a romantic thing whatsoever. She wanted to practice her English. I just thought it was so cool to be able to do a cultural exchange with someone. And uh, I spent two weeks. I had a, a private driver and a guide and he spoke Farsi and, and I traveled around the whole country and just saw from my own eyes. I think that's really important for a lot of people to make decisions for themselves and, and not just read about things or watch it on television or the movies or, you know, go out there and see, see for yourself. I can tell you what Iran is like because I've been there. You know, I had a, a U.S. senator I met, and I won't mention his name. I had a U.S. senator maybe six months ago. I was in um, an airport lounge and we struck up a conversation. We were chatting for about half an hour. And just happened to be hanging out in an airport lounge with a U.S. Yeah, senator. And <laughs> he had a, I swear to God, he had a, um, a small folder next to him. And and we were chatting. First of all, we were chatting about um, travel and experiences and my life and things like that. And uh, he had a small folder next to him and it said, uh, economic war against Iran. I swear to God. Just sitting there at the bar. Seriously, <laughs> at a table, yeah. And I was like- That's like something out of a movie. That's amazing. I, I swear. And I was going, oh, that's really interesting. You know, I- um, I'm trying to get uh, Jim Rickards on my show. I've read all of his books. Have you ever read him? Like, like just trying to strike up a conversation. He's like, mm -hmm. he was with, um, you know, he had a little entourage of, of uh, lawyers and stuff that worked with him. He's like, oh yeah, we know Jim. He's a great guy. Yeah, yeah, I know him, blah, 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 blah. And I was like, oh, that's so interesting. You know, so we chatted about it for a bit. And I was like, so have you been to Iran? And he looked at me like I was absolutely batshit crazy. And he's like, I would never go there. I was like, go there now. I'm just trying to wage a little economic war casually. Yeah, casually. <laughs> and, and I was like telling him literally like exactly what I'm telling you about the people and all these types of things. And, you know, our 30 minute conversation came to an abrupt halt. I told him this and he literally just picked up his phone, just leaned back in his chair and just, just wouldn't even continue the conversation. I just sat there for like another couple minutes and like, it was just over. And it was like, man, <laughs> you, you're going to go invade the country and you're going to kill millions of people. And, you really don't know anything at all. And I suppose like I should say at this point that I understand that the government of Iran and the government and the people of Iran are different. Sure. I understand that. But boy, if, if we were punished, if I was punished for the sins of my government, I mean, I'd be getting lashes for all of eternity. Well, yeah, see, and I was going to try to put that in there with trying to at least also be a little bit sensitive to my American friends. But seriously, like I love the United States in the fact that I have so many American friends and they're so cool and there's so much great stuff and, and movies and music and culture like that. That is the biggest export of the United States. It's, it's not cars and it's not petrol and it's not beef and it's not all these things. It's culture. The U S does a fantastic job of exporting culture. Um, and I love the United States, but man, oh man, I fucking hate your government and what they do to other countries. And I've seen it firsthand. I've been there. You know, it's wrong, man. Like you guys, I don't believe in communal guilt. Like I would never hold you responsible. I would never get angry at you, Mark, for something that your government does. I don't believe in communal Well, I hope not. I'm the one talking out against it. Well, not the one. One of you many. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. so don't blame the Iranian people for stupid things that their government does. And certainly don't go right. and invade them. And I don't want to get into Israel too much, but stop sending airplanes over there and dropping bombs. Like, just leave him the fuck alone, God. Because you got to understand it. And I will go on record right now saying this. 
in this situation, Mark, we are the bad guys. We are the bad guys. There's no two ways about it. We are not liberating people. We are not helping them. Just stay out. We are not the good guys. We will not go down in history as the good guys in this situation. It is a mistake. Please, for the love of God, just stay out. Oh, Mikhail, it's awesome getting you on rants because <laughs> I go on rants too. So uh, we're, we are kindred spirits in, in that in that uh, manner of things. But uh, before I let you go, Mikhail, I definitely want you to speak a little bit more on the book, exactly what people can get out of it, where they can find it. And uh, as a fellow podcaster, of course, I, I've really been loving your podcast these last couple months here that I've been I've been checking it out. So feel free to dig into that and you know some of the awesome guests that you've Yeah, had. absolutely. Well, I really appreciate that because I've listened to some of your episodes as well. We were just chatting beforehand about your uh, episode yeah. 400. Man, if you guys haven't heard episode 400, that is insane. Like that is, Walter Block is phenomenal. And you guys just have such a, a civil, but such an interesting conversation and uh, to celebrate that. But um, yeah, my awesome. podcast, we're aiming for. it is called The Expat Money Show. Uh, we talk to entrepreneurs and investors, specifically those of those people who have left their home country or want to leave their home country. So if you are not an expat right now in the definition that I gave earlier in the episode, that's okay. You are still welcome. Um, there's heaps of information to be had on it. And we've had some phenomenal libertarians and anarchists on the show. So I've interviewed Doug Casey. I've had uh, Grant Cardone. Grant Cardone told me that uh, his to team told me that they would give me 20 minutes. I had 65 minutes with him. You know, he's a certifiable billionaire. And he talks about um, mindset for moving and building a business. Who else have I had? Richard Mayberry was phenomenal as well. Um, lots of like big names. We have a mutual guest as well. Uh, we both interviewed John Perkins. John Perkins is awesome. Author of a- After I interviewed yeah, him, he's like, oh, man. Mikhail, you should come on a trip with me. Next year, I'm going to go to Central America and I'm going to- <laughs> Let's go do ayahuasca. Yes, exactly. <laughs> and go hang out with the shamans and have pe peyote and stuff like that. Like, Jesus- you're so much different than your book. <laughs> but uh, no, That sounds really fun, actually. John Perkins is awesome. Um, so we get on the show, and it is long-format interviews. And we do have a, a strong streak of libertarianism, but it is a lot of the entrepreneurial skills. I think that what I teach or, or what we discuss, I suppose, is more of the, the practical aspects. So it's like, okay, you don't like your government, you don't like what they're doing, and you don't like the control and the state interfering in your life. So a lot of libertarians will just talk about it. Like, we're doing something about it. We actually move overseas. We create our companies overseas. We use offshore bank accounts. I, I store my wealth in a gold vault in Singapore where the government does not have any access to it. It's removed from the financial system. You know, we have residency overseas and second citizenship. It, it's that action, I think, that makes my, di my show very different than others. And an extension of this is the book. And I encourage everyone to go and pick up a copy if you like this type of thing. Uh, the book is called Expat Secrets, and you'll find it on Amazon. It is a number one bestseller. It spent 11 weeks as a number one bestseller in the United States. And um, yeah, man, check it out. Awesome, dude. Well, it's been awesome talking to you, Mikhail. And, and as you said, your show, uh, it, it might not be libertarian in the sense that you don't label it a libertarian show. You don't really talk about libertarian philosophy in an overt way, but it's a show that libertarians, I feel, are going to get a lot out of, uh, especially just of the practical aspects and all the various ways that uh, your guests have found ways to sort of make themselves more free in this world. Uh, so I think libertarians and pe people in this audience are really going to enjoy your program and your book as well. So I do highly encourage you all to check out everything we've mentioned here. I'll link to everything over in today's show notes as well. Mikkel, it's been awesome talking to you. Keep up the great work. 
Keep on roaring. Thanks, buddy. We'll talk soon, okay? All right, friends. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Mikkel Thorup. I will post links to his book, to his podcast, and all of his work over at lionsofliberty.com slash 405, where you can find all of today's show notes. And one of the cool parts about podcasting is just finding new people and connecting to new people. I had never heard of Mikkel or his program until his people reached out to me. And I thought, well, you know, I've heard some expat, you know, kind of international money shows before. Some of them are good. Some of them aren't. But what the heck? I'll check it out. And I really found myself getting engaged uh, with his show. He's had a lot of great guests. And uh, even though it is not marketed or sold as a libertarian show, it really comes across, as you guys could tell from Mikkel, his passion really comes across uh, in the interview it did. And it sure does in his program. And I think while there are not overt libertarian themes in the show, uh, you listen to a couple episodes and you start to get that vibe of freedom and liberty right there, uh, along with some great info about living and uh, you know traveling overseas. So I really do recommend The Expat Money Show, and I'm sure Mikkel's book is amazing as well. So again, lionsofliberty.com slash 405 for all of today's show notes. Folks, I have got to get packing. I'm going to Porkfest in just a couple days. I don't have anything ready. What am I going to wear? Probably a bunch of Lions of Liberty t-shirts. By the way, you can find our Lions of Liberty t-shirts, our full gear over at lionsofliberty.store. Or if you want to get a free t-shirt, Join the pride, because at the levels of 10 or above, you get at least one free t-shirt, uh, often more, as you get to the higher levels. So again, be sure to check out our Patreon. Join the pride at patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. And be sure, if you have not gotten your tickets to Porkfest, and you're still thinking about it at the last minute, porkfest.com. Be sure to get the VIP ticket, because then you get to hang out with me and the lions in the VIP tent the whole time, and the booze flows heavily. So it is well, well worth it. My friends, until after Porkfest... You know what I want, don't you? I just want you to live long and live free.